Well, I greeted you a little while ago and said good morning, but some of you weren't here yet. Y'all were still, you know, finding your way in, and so I'm going to greet you again. Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Good deal. Good deal. It's good to see the room filling up. I love it. You know, our mission at Elevation Church, the reason that I believe God planted us here and now was so that we can do three things. Three things. We're here to lead people to know God personally to know Jesus personally, to grow in faith through relationships, and to go and share the love of Christ with others. That's our purpose in being here. That's why I think God has us here and now. That's why I think He has you here and now. And, and part of that purpose is, is it's reaching out into the community, inviting people into God's family, into His house, to hear the Word of God, to be around other Christians, to see what it looks like to walk with Christ and to hear about what God has in store for all of us, what He wants from us and for us, who He is and who we are and even whose we are. And the evidence of you, His church, doing His work is people filling up these seats. And so I'm thrilled to see we even added seats today, and we're, we're still almost you know, reaching our, our filled capacity. I love it. Now, as you look around the room on a, on a Sunday and you see an empty chair, I want you to not see an empty chair. I want you to see an opportunity. That empty chair represents an opportunity for you to share your faith with somebody else who doesn't know God and to invite them into the family of God, into his house, to see and hear who he is and whose they are and what he has for them. And so when you look around and you see these chairs that are, that are not filled, think of the, the person that you know. Who, who needs to have their backside in that seat to know these things that we talk about when we're here together as God's church. So anyway, that's my rant on that this morning. Hey, we're continuing this morning in our series Red Ink, the series that is all about the words of Jesus. It's not the red ink that comes after Christmas with the financial stuff. It's the red ink that's in many of your Bibles where they publish Jesus' words in red to make them stand out, to make them pop off the page so you can see what Jesus has to say to you. And we've been, I guess we're like six weeks now into the words of Jesus and we barely scratched the surface. I have no idea how far we're going to go. We will see as He leads. But this morning we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been there for the last five or six weeks. We're continuing there today. It's Matthew chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible with you today, we are going to put the verses on the screen. But I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. I said it last week and I'll say it again. There's something about opening up the Word of God and reading and getting into it yourself personally right here. So I want you to bring your Bibles to church. But if you don't, we have the screen. If you have a smartphone, I've told you like many times, I don't know. Download a Bible app. There's tons of good ones. I like the U version, Y-O-U, but there's lots of great Bible apps you can download to your smartphone and always have the Bible with you. So, by the way, that's not permission <clears throat> for some of you to get your phone out and text in church and make me think that you're, you know, um, doing, you know, your Bible. When your thumb is moving 90 to nothing, I know what's up. I've seen it before. I got kids. Anyway. All right. Taking notes. That's it. You're taking notes. Amen. Stay with that story. All right. <laughs> Hopefully, by the time you uh, get, I, I've gotten through all of that, you found Matthew chapter 5. Let's go straight to work today. We're going to be in verses 38 to 48. That's the passage we're going to spend all of our time in today. We'll break it down a little bit, but let's go ahead and read the whole passage right now. Matthew 5, 38 
to 48. You have heard, now this is Jesus speaking, of course. You have heard, he says, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, give to them the other cheek as well. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, you go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He continues, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if anybody checked out on the word perfect, because you know you aren't going to achieve perfection, you're right, but that doesn't give you the right to check out. This word perfect really translates to to just being um, fully developed by God. It's giving yourself to Him in total submission so that He can work on you, work in you, work through you, work in spite of you, and develop you into exactly who He wants you to be, who He's called you to be, who He has prepared you to be. So don't get lost on that word perfect and check out on the rest of what God is doing here today because what He's about to do in these next few minutes as we go through this verse is some of that work in you, through you, and in spite of you to bring you to that state of full development of perfection. I want to focus in particular right now on One phrase that Jesus said, one little line out of this passage we just read. This is a passage that that some of you may be familiar with or a phrase that some of you may be familiar with. Jesus talks about not going just the one mile, but going two, going the extra mile, the extra mile. Most of you, I mean, you don't even have to raise your hands. I know most of you have heard about going the extra mile. You've had teachers that have taught you about going the extra mile. You've had coaches that have compelled you to go that extra mile. Coaches are great at that. I love my football coaches always wanted more, right? No matter how good you did, they saw more in you, and they would always try to get more out of you. My parents were great at that. Your parents might have been great at that too. They see what God has put into you. And they know that you're only giving part of it. And they compel you to go that extra mile, to do more, be more, go farther. The extra mile, the second mile. Most of us are familiar with it, but do you know where that concept came from? I mean, where did this begin? And and it began in biblical times. In Jesus' time, the Romans occupied, they had kind of conquered and occupied the nation of Israel. And, and Israel had kind of cut a deal with the Romans so they could kind of continue to do their own thing, practice their Judea, uh, Judaic faith, and, and, and you know be under Roman rule, but kind of still be under Jewish law and rule as well. But one of the Roman laws that came with the Roman occupation was the law that a Roman soldier could impose upon any of, of the captive people this, this uh, law that they had to carry the soldier's burden for one mile. For one mile. 
they had to carry that soldier's burden for a mile. Now, the Roman mile was a 1,000 paces. It was a little shorter than our current mile, you know, the English mile. But, but it was still a long, stinking ways. Imagine you are a, a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, and you're walking along your way. You're, you know, cruising down the road. You're doing your thing, and you come across a Roman soldier. He stops you and presses you into service. You, sir or ma'am, have to carry my load for a mile. He's going the, the way that you just came from, the opposite direction. And so you pick up his burden, and you carry it a mile out of your way, and then you have to turn around and walk another mile back just to get to ground zero, just to get to where you were when you encountered the soldier. So you've gone two miles already out of your way. So this was a very unpopular law, duh. I mean, seriously. If you were driving your car and had to carry somebody a mile out of your way, you'd be a little miffed, wouldn't you? Oh, you can be honest this morning. It's all right. You'd be, you wouldn't be real happy that you had to do that. But the truth is, these guys were walking and they had to do it, and, and Jesus just messed with them big time. He just messed with them big time. He said to them, don't just go the one mile, go a second. Don't just do what the law requires, double down. Go farther, do more. Now, if you're a, a Jewish man or woman in that time and Jesus is speaking to you from the mountain and you're down there in the throng and you're like hanging on every word and Jesus already to this point has been messing with people's minds. He's been messing with their understanding of who He is, who God is, who they are. He's been messing with them big time and now He drops this one on you? Are you kidding me? Lord, are you serious? What kind of rabbi are you? We don't like the Romans. And they, they oppress us, and they put these laws on us. we got to do this thing, and now you tell us we don't just have to do what they require. we got to do more? Are you serious? I'm not sure I want to follow this cat anymore. I, I'm sure there were a lot of people that day thinking that very thing. There were probably some who rebelled that moment and, and like broke camp and, and left. And maybe you're there this morning too because he's messing with your heart, messing with your head, messing with your understanding. But there's a question that I think that we need to answer this morning. We need to leave here with a much more solid understanding of, of what it means to go the extra mile. Does Jesus really want us to do more than the law requires? Does He really want us to go farther than what is expected? And I believe with all of my heart that the answer to that is a resounding Yes, a resounding yes. But rather than just take my word for it, rather than just believe me, let's, let's break this passage down a little bit. Look at what Jesus said in verses 38 and 39. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If somebody takes a shot, you take that shot, and you stick your chin out and let him take another. He's talking about going the extra mile, about doing more, and he's referencing the law here. He's referencing uh, Exodus chapter 21, where the law, the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth, comes from. This is how, how the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, was to deal with personal offense. This was like the very first you know, uh, um, biblical example of, of how we deal with um, uh, personal injury law, right? 
I mean, if there's any lawyers in the house, I'm not going to tread on your toes too much in the next couple minutes, but, you know, maybe a little bit. But personal injury law, something that we see running rampant today in our society, they, they had a problem with it back then, too. They didn't know how to deal with it. And so the law said, look, if, if somebody injures somebody else, it's simple. Avenge the injury, but let the punishment fit the crime. So if somebody knocks out a tooth, they get their tooth knocked out. If somebody punches you in your eye and blacks your eye, guess what? You get to black theirs. If somebody cuts off a hand, they're going to pony up and lose a hand too. It's the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth principle. It is the law. Avenge the injury, but let the punishment fit the crime. And Jesus messes them up because this has been the way it's been for a thousand years, a couple thousand years at this point. This is the way it's been. The eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth. That was the standard. That was the practice. That was the law, period. And now Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, stands on the mountain. He says, "Uh uh-uh, no more eye for eye, no more tooth for tooth, no more avenging the injuries, no more letting the punishment fit the crime. Instead, forgive. Forgive that offense. Forgive that injury, and then do more. If there's more offense, if there's more injury coming, turn the other cheek and let them take a shot at you on that side too. That's the extra mile, man. That's second mile stuff right there. Don't just take one shot, take two. Now, I think that this principle has been misunderstood and mistaught, misapplied for many years in the church. I don't think that Jesus is teaching the church, his followers, to be wimps, to turn and run, to be afraid, to back down and back out and be these little milquetoast, frail, fragile things. And the reason I believe that is because Jesus was not any of those things. He was no wimp. He was not frail. He was not fragile. And never in his ministry did he ever back down from a fight, from adversity, from a challenge. He faced those things head on. Jesus was a tough hombre, man. I think about what Jesus did for a living. Anybody remember what Jesus did for a living? He was a carpenter, right? Carpenter. You think about a modern-day carpenter, man, they're using all kinds of cool tools like programmable saws, and, and, and I mean, they've got all these routers, and I mean, everything is like computer-operated, and they do some work by hand, you know, but they still got power saws and tools, and basically they do a lot of assembly work, a modern carpenter. A carpenter in Jesus' time was not like that. Everything was by hand. There were no power tools. It was whatever power you could muster. Right, Whatever power you had built up in those muscles of yours, that was the power that drove your tools. Jesus, the carpenter, would have been a rough, tough man. He would have been physically ripped, like rippling with with muscle. That long, lean, sinewy, strong muscle. Not bodybuilder muscle, like I'm going to work muscle. Brother would have been tan. Dark tan, probably, because he worked outside all the time. His hands would have been rough because he handled stone and wood and tools all day long. A carpenter in that time did everything from the excavation to the finish out. 
the stonework, the woodwork, the whole bit to build a house or a building, building furniture, whatever he would have done. He did it all. He would have been a tough, tough, physically, physically tough man. Jesus wouldn't have been a wimp. He wouldn't have been a runaway from a fight kind of a guy. He didn't back down from these things. Jesus set us an example. If we look at the scriptures and look at his life, he didn't wimp out, he didn't turn the other cheek. He did like Rocky. Y'all seen the old Rocky movies? Some of y'all are too young to know Rocky. I'm dating myself. Rocky was famous in all of his big fights, you know, whether it was Apollo Creed or, or the big Russian dude, Drago, or, or Mr. T, right? Rocky would be like, that all you got? That all you got? Come on, man, that all you got? Because he couldn't talk because he's just beat to a pulp, man, like one eye swollen shut, blood running down, his nose is broke, his lips are... But Rocky would take all of those shots in those fights, and he'd stick his chin out and say, that all you got? That's the kind of way I see Jesus living his life. And if you're not with me on this, let's, let's, let's examine what Jesus did. Let's see the opportunities Jesus had to model for us either the wimp, run away, turn the other cheek understanding, or the, that all you got, understanding of turning the other cheek. Jesus walked into the temple. He saw people abusing God's house. What did he do? Did he turn the other cheek and run away? Jesus made a cord or a whip of three cords, and he went into the temple, and he took names, and he kicked butts. That's what he did. He cleared the temple of the people who were doing evil in the temple, and he restored his father's house as a place of worship. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was stressed out. I mean, this is the night that he's betrayed. He's in the garden. He tells the disciples to pray. He goes off by himself. Luke says he was sweating drops of blood, which, by the way, is a real medical condition, and it can occur. This is not figurative language. Jesus is so freaked out, so stressed out, because he knows what's coming, and he's sweating drops of blood, and he prays, God, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. But Jesus understands there is no other way. And so he says, not my will, but yours. And he didn't run off. And when the party came to arrest him, he did not hide. When the disciples tried to protect him, he rebuked them. He said, I'm Jesus. This is how we got to go. This is how we got to go. Here I am. He went on trial for his life. And all he had to do was cop out. And he didn't. He was beaten severely. And all he had to do was cop out, say uncle, change his story. And he didn't. He was crucified. And all he had to do was say the word. And he would have come down off the cross. But he didn't. Jesus went the extra mile. He went the second mile and more. He never showed us that turning the other cheek was a wimpy, milk toast, eh, meek, you know, like we understand the word meek, weak kind of a thing. He showed that it was a 
a difficult thing to do. Jesus took it like a man. No, he didn't. Jesus took it like God. When the chips were down, when things were tough, when the challenges were there, Jesus took it like God. And he set for us that as the standard and as the example. Following God when it's tough, when it's adverse, following God to forgive what we might perceive as unforgivable. Just flat unforgivable. But we forgive. Not to seek revenge, even though we're entitled, even though the law allows. Don't seek revenge. But instead, let the only one who is just, God, deal with justice. We are to operate in forgiveness, to go beyond what is required, to live in the second mile. Jesus set the example. Jesus preached from the side of the mountain. Christians, followers of Christ, live in the second mile, not the first. Christians live in mile number two, not mile number one. Jesus continued teaching that day. Matthew 5, let's look at verses 43 and 47. Or 347. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Sends rain, the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing that's more, that's, that's second mile? Because even the pagans do that. Even the pagans do that. Even the people who don't follow me do that. We do more, Christians. We do more. Man, Jesus is really all into people's heads right now. He's really into their heart conditions right now. And some of you might be squirming a little bit right now because Jesus is in your head and he's in your heart and he's exposing some things in you. He's doing some work in you right now. Listen to what he has to say. Take it to heart because he's calling out those heart issues that you need to deal with. He says that it's easy to love the people who are like you, right? It's easy to love the people that are like you. It doesn't matter how they're like you. They could be like you in ethnicity, skin color. They could be like you politically. They could be like you, you know, share the same family name. They could be like you in a lot of different ways. Share the same faith. Love the same football team. Went to the same college. Pick any number of ways that people can be like each other. And it's easier to like those that we're alike. Right? It's easy to do that. That's, that's mile one stuff. Everybody does that. But Jesus calls his followers 
to do more. He calls us to a rougher road. He calls us to a second mile. He says that we need to love those who are unlike us. Unlike us. Let's apply the same unlikes that we just talked about likes. We're to like those who are dissimilar in in race or ethnicity, whose skin color is different, whose hair is different. And I don't care what color you are, white, black, red, yellow, brown, it don't matter. We all have prejudices, don't we? We all have a feeling of, of affinity to somebody who is like us. We like to walk into a room and see someone that reflects us. But Jesus says that's too easy. You got to go the extra mile. You got to do something a little bit more. Like those people who are not like you. Learn to love people who are not like you. Politics. Oh, man. There's two things we're not supposed to talk about. Religion and politics. I crossed both lines just in the last 10 seconds. Politics. It's easy to hate the other political side. Like if you are part of the right, it's easy to not like the left. And if you're part of the left, it's easy to not like the right. And it's easier today, I think, than it's ever been in my lifetime. Because right now, the two major political parties both think the other one is trying to destroy the country. And they believe it with all of their hearts. And I I promise you, I have a platform (laughs) politically. And one of the challenges of the last four or five years of my life is God teaching me that somebody can be a Christian and believe politically differently than I do. I didn't know they could even be a friend. Much less, I mean, a Christian? Seriously, they're all going to hell. No. No. They can believe 180 degrees opposite of me. And I can believe 180 degrees opposite of them. And you know what? We can be friends. If you were here the first weekend of the year, my friend Stephen Dilla, uh, who's planting Icon Church in New York, came here and spoke. And he made jokes about how much he and I are alike. And some of you who were here that weekend, you know that Stephen and I are not alike. Stephen is almost a 180 degree polar opposite of me politically. I've learned to love that man. He has a heart for God. We have the same end in mind. How we get there varies drastically. I don't understand him. But I love the man. He does not understand me, but he loves me. God's taught me a lot in that relationship and in others that have come along that he has planted in front of me on purpose. And I've grown a lot by learning to love people who are politically different than I am. Faith. What about people who don't share our faith? People who are not Christians. Maybe they're atheists or agnostics. Maybe they don't believe in anything. Maybe they worship another God. They practice a a religion that's not Christianity. 
or Jewish or Hebrew or same difference, whatever you want to call it. Maybe they're maybe they're um, maybe they're Muslims. There's a hot button issue. See, it's easy for Americans to, to kind of project onto any and all Muslims that they're these evil bad people because of what happened on 9-11 or because of any number of other terrorist activities that, that factions of the Muslim faith are behind. But you know what God says? He says, don't seek revenge, don't hate that person, forgive and love. Learn to love. And I think it's so important what Jesus is teaching us here. Because as I referenced in the very beginning of our time together this morning, our mission as Elevation Church is really the mission of the global church. It's to lead people into a relationship with Jesus, to share with them lovingly the truth about God, the truth about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And if somebody is practicing another religion, a religion that is, that is not founded on faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will never know the truth if you don't have enough of a relationship, enough of a loving relationship, a trusting relationship to share that with them in love. And that doesn't mean beating them over the head, chasing them down. It means forming a relationship with somebody that believes differently than you in spite of that belief and not only so that you can share your faith because that's not love, that's manipulation. And that's just the truth right there. You got to love them for who they are in spite of who they are. They got to love you in spite of who you are to them for that truth to ever come out and to be received. You may say it, you may spray it, you may say it to your blue in the face, whatever. It isn't going to be received if you're not doing it out of a love relationship. We started this church two years ago in our living room with 12 people with the idea that we would never do big marketing campaigns, that we would not grow through you know, big budget advertising and all of this stuff, but that we would be a grassroots church and that we would reach into this community with the love of Christ by doing personal discipleship and personal evangelism and we said we'll grow slower because of it there will be churches that come after us and grow bigger faster than we do and that's okay because we're going to grow with deep roots strong faith and on personal relationships with people that God puts us in their midst and them in our midst and that's the model that we're on we've grown from 12 to the last three weekends 65 people We've done that in two years and that's not us that's that's God and praise God for that amen let me let's more than required living in the second mile not doing what everybody else does not being satisfied with that but going beyond Jesus says to do it. He says to go that extra mile, to invest personally in the hard stuff. He says to pray for the people who persecute you. Who's got that boss? Oh, somebody out there has that boss. Bethany, you better not raise your hand. <laughs> Bethany is our very first employee. We hired her just like a little over a month ago. If her hand goes up, man, I'm in trouble. 
That's, thank you for that, yes. Some of y'all have that boss. You got one? All right. He or she torments you. Yes. Torments you. They punish you. They persecute you and everybody else. Some of you have a spouse like that. Please don't call out. You've got a husband or a wife that tears you down, that undermines you, that just degrades you and denigrates you and just is, is mean-spirited towards you. I'm praying for them if they're sitting in the room right now. If they're not, too, I'm praying. But if they're sitting, I'm praying that they're hearing what Jesus is saying. Some of you, are, both spouses are like that. Just saying. For some, it may be just a, a, an unjust act from any person. It could be family. It could be friend. It could be the government. It could be some, some court or some decision or some silly law that limits your, your business or, or your ability to do something. It doesn't matter. Jesus says if somebody's persecuting you, if somebody's punishing you, if they're out to get you, if they're tearing you down, ripping you apart, making your life living hell, pray for them. That's some second mile stuff. You ever tried to pray for your enemy? It's difficult. We had an experience in our family about 10 years ago. We had to pray for somebody that we would have just as soon in our flesh been out of the family. Ouch. There's a confession. We prayed for that person. And you know what happened as we prayed for that person? God changed our hearts. A person that we would have just as soon pushed aside and left damaged. God changed our hearts. You know what else? He changed her heart. Because frankly, I don't think she could have given a flip about us. But in the process of us praying for her, she never knew we were doing it. God changed our hearts and her heart. And today we have a much better, I won't say perfect, much better relationship with that person and she's still in our family. She's still in our family. We're learning to love her more and more all the time. Pray for the person who persecutes you. Love them. Love them in private through your prayers. I think the extra mile says also love them publicly by interacting with them, doing stuff with them. There are some children that go to the school that our children go to that are kind of black sheep children, you know? They're behavior issues and problems and troublemakers and... We limit our kids' exposure, but we also do interact with them. We invite them to our house. We don't let our kids go to their house. We invite them to our house so that we can interact with them and love them and go the extra mile. I don't know what that kid gets or doesn't get at home. I don't know what kind of leadership or lack thereof they experience. 
I know that God's called me to go the extra mile. He's called Trina to go the extra mile. He calls our kids, because they've given their lives to Christ, to go the extra mile. We're trying to live in the second mile. Love these people privately through your prayers. Love them publicly through interacting with them. And as you love them publicly, share with them the truth about Jesus. Share it in love. When you have earned the right, the trust, to speak truth into their lives, not as a conviction, not as judgment, but as, but as somebody who's inviting someone into something that you know is transformational. You do it about movies, you do it about restaurants, you do it about all kinds of great experiences that you have. There's no reason not to do it with the greatest experience, the greatest thing going, and that is a relationship with Christ. Love these people. Share with them the good news. Treat them as your equals or even your superiors. We're told to consider others more highly than ourselves. It's a challenge. Jesus says, go the extra mile. Do more. Love more. Follow me, he says. He is crying out to every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me and be forgiven. Follow me and live the full, real life. Follow me. Be fishers of men. Experience real love. Follow me and be transformed. Follow me. Be salt and light to a tasteless and dark world. Follow me and make people thirsty to follow me. Jesus says, follow me. Put revenge aside. Follow me and trust that I've got justice under control. Follow me and forgive the unforgivable and love the unlovable. Follow me. See your enemies become your friends. Follow me into the second mile. I've gone before you, he says. I've prepared the way. Follow me. Are you following Jesus? Are you a second miler? It's a serious question. If you know this morning that you're not, I believe that's why you're here. Because Jesus loves you enough to put you in a place with people who will speak truth and love to you. Who will share with you the, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. That He is your Savior, that He died on the cross. He didn't back down, He didn't wimp out. He turned the other cheek and said, that all you got? And he took the nails. And he gave up his life. But he rose from the grave in the ultimate act of second mileage. And he gives you life. Real life. Life now that is rich and full. And life in eternity that we can't even conceive of how good it is. Follow me. 
follow me. Some of you this morning think you're second milers, and some of you, some of you are. Some of you are second milers. You're doing a great job of, of loving others and going beyond your, your rights and, and living outside of and beyond the law, and I applaud you for that, and Jesus is excited about that. I have a challenge for you this morning, too, and this is not a challenge for me. It's a challenge directly from, from the Word of God. If you're a second miler, who are you leading in that second mile life? Who are you leading? It's great to go the second mile. It's great to live in the second mile, to do more than. Part of that second mile lifestyle is leading others into the second mile. Jesus led hundreds, thousands into the second mile. The Apostle Paul planted churches all over the place. He preached the gospel. He discipled Timothy and a number of others. And, and, and the second mile is not a zone for you alone. It's a zone to lead other people into. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but it worked good, didn't it? It's a place for you to lead other people. The second mile. Don't go it alone. Christianity is not a lone ranger faith. It's a relationship with Jesus. And through that relationship, He builds you into the person you're supposed to be. He leads you so that you, in turn, can lead others. That's the truth of the gospel. It's, it's, it's the great commission, the last commandment Jesus gave, the last orders he issued to his, his faithful followers, go make disciples, go make followers and lead those followers into the second mile. Don't lead them into a comfortable lifestyle that says, I prayed a prayer and I'm good. It's false faith. If you are mature in Christ, if you're a second miler, a real Believing, Jesus-following Christian. You better be leading somebody in a second-mile lifestyle. If you're not, look around the empty chairs and start praying for God to put names and faces on your mind and in your heart. Because that is our call, Christians, to live in the second mile. My Lord and my God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, for the love of Jesus, who lived the second mile and beyond. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that anyone sitting in this room who knows they're not following you into the second mile, that God, your conviction in their hearts would be overwhelming and that they would not be able to ignore that conviction this morning in spite of the best laid plans and the best efforts of the enemy to thwart what you are doing. Father, that they would surrender their hearts to you, that they would trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he does what he says he will do, that he is their savior and that he will forgive their sins and give them life now and life eternal. If that's you this morning, this is your prayer. This is how you enter into that relationship and start your second mile walk. You pray like this, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it. I've messed up doing life my way. God, I want to do life your way. I want to go into that second mile. I want to rise to the challenge and be more 
than is required. And I know I can only do that in a relationship with you. And so Jesus, please come and live in my heart and guide me, lead me in the second mile lifestyle. Forgive my sins. God, I receive that forgiveness and I'm ready to be yours. If you're a Christian this morning that realizes you're, you're living in the second mile, maybe you've just dangled your toes over the, the second mile edge, maybe, maybe you're partway there, maybe you're really leading strong and, and living it, but you know you've got, you've got people in your life that God wants you to lead into the second mile, to lead into faith in Him, to invest personal uh, evangelism and discipleship into them. Pray, pray, pray for opportunities this week, this week, today, to lead them, to love them, to get outside of yourself and to go beyond what is expected and what is required, to really go second mile in your faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the work you are doing, for the work that you have done, God, and for the work that you have yet to do in this church and in this community. Let us be your hands and feet in this journey of the second mile. Amen. This morning we're going to participate in a second mile sacrament of the church. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. This is something that Jesus commands his church, his followers to do. He says that we should do it often and we should do it in remembrance of Him. We're basically reenacting the, the Last Supper. We're reenacting the, the Passover feast. Taking the bread and the wine, the bread and the juice, and participating in eating and drinking. This is a time to celebrate the second mile that Jesus went. To remember that he gave himself for you. And so this morning I'm going to ask that Randy would go ahead and distribute the elements. As these come by, you'll notice that we use these um, fancy schmancy little uh, cup and wafer in one units. They can be a little bit cantankerous, but um, there's a clear plastic wrapper on top. If you peel that back, you'll find the wafer. Then you peel back the purple foil and you'll find the juice. If you would, hold on to these for just a moment and we'll take the Lord's Supper together in just a moment after it all gets distributed around. If you want to go ahead and start working on that clear part, you can do that because that can be a, the challenging piece. I'm going to take advantage of this and do that. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his disciples in the upper room. They celebrated the Passover feast. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he gave it to the disciples and he told them to eat it. That this was his body that he was giving for them. Let's eat the bread. He poured the wine and told them to drink. This was the blood that he was about to spill, the blood of the new covenant. And that he was doing it for them. Let's take the cup. 
Jesus said that we're to participate in this meal together as his church and do it in remembrance of him. I would ask this morning that if you would just take a few seconds, close your eyes, bow your heads, pause and reflect, and remember that it's because of Jesus that we have the freedom and the life that we have. It's freedom in Christ. Because he didn't back down. Because he went the second mile. And now if you would, take a moment and ask Jesus in prayer where you are short in your second mile journey. 